Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton Podcast. Welcome to the third instalment of the Trinity B-Side. We're on this episode, we're going to be talking about things to do with the LGBT community and specifically the homophobic aspect of football because it's something which... You know, we, we, we see in the news pre- uh, fairly prevalently. We, we see reports, there's reports from a game, Cardiff uh, against Redden yesterday, where there was homophobic chanting, and something I think which, which we really need to, to openly talk about and, and, and address a situation. Yeah, it's a, it's a massively important topic, isn't it? Um, not just in football, by the way, but in, in, in society and, and also in um, you know, other sports as well. Yeah, it's it's interesting as well to compare it to, I guess, other movements that are looking to promote sort of diversity in football. I mean, racism would be the obvious comparator. There's been so much sort of talk um, and focus on that as a topic, but in comparison, you think uh, you know talking about sort of LGBT stuff in football feels a little bit tokenistic sometimes. You know, we have the rainbow laces, don't we? We seem to have just one day a year, and then after that, it's forgotten about again. Yeah, I mean, and also as well. Um, February is LGBT History Month as well, so it ties in, I think, quite nicely with that. But to um, to help us in our in our discussion, we've actually got um, Mike from the uh, Rainbow Toffees on the phone. Mike, thanks for coming on, mate. No problem, thank you. Uh, like like we said off air, you know, the and just just said then we feel it's a really important subject to to talk about and also raise raise awareness for those people who who maybe. Yeah. Don't don't talk about it. Don't see it. Don't hear it. Maybe, um, but yeah. just but just yeah. sorry. But just to sort of kick things off for those who aren't aware about the Rainbow Toffees and what they do, give our listeners a bit of an overview about what what your aims and objectives are. Well, we're one of round about forty um, LGBT supporters groups um, dumping around the country. Most of the um, major clubs. 
clubs have got groups similar to Rainbow Top and Bell. It was a little bit unusual in the sense that we actually started off as um, an online um, an online organisation. Uh, we actually were originally started by an Everton fan based in America who um, <clears throat> was a member of the Boston Everton Supporters Club and decided that he wanted to try and get together an LG, LGBT supporters group set something up on Facebook. After about a year or so, a couple of us locally discovered this and started chatting to him and we all realised that what we actually needed were people to run it locally um, who were based in Liverpool rather than someone trying to do it from Boston. So um, he sort of passed it over to us and uh, we, we sort of started off from there really and uh, we, we do a variety of different things. Um, we, as I say, we're with many groups doing the same type of thing, so we do have sort of good relationships with um, other similar groups around the country. Um, Cop Out, for example, which is the uh, Liverpool equivalent. Um, we do work with them very much when necessary, and um, obviously it's really important, I think, to work you know, over uh, club boundaries and recognise all the club space, much of the data issues. I think, I mean, obviously, what you described there, Mike, you know, having this kind of group, when you say there's, there's, there's 40 or so, um, is, it, is it a real, a real positive, positive step, of course? I think it, it is. I mean, some of them are really, some of them are larger and more active than us, to be honest. I mean, you've got uh, certainly both the Tottenham and Arsenal groups are uh, longer established and, and, and probably larger than we are, for example. But I think that, uh, you know, the, the important thing is to have that presence there. And in particular, I think to, you know, both put on events and work, work with the clubs, which we try and do quite closely. Um, the groups run by mainly two of us, myself. Paul. Paul focuses on organising events and merchandise and so on. And my focus is working with Everton um, on the sort of broader issues of homophobia and football and what the club are going to do about it. And I think it's important that they have someone they can talk to, actually, because um, you know, they, they do have people within the club who take responsibility for these sort of issues but, uh, at a club level. But I think it's really important that supporters are also involved because, uh, you know, if you don't have that supporter's voice, it can sound very much like a sort of top-down thing, really. And it's important that we don't go down that path. Mike, you may not know, but do you know if all Premier League clubs currently have a, a sort of an LGBT... Well, um, you know, it's, it's, I'm just thinking, funnily enough, when, when, when I mentioned how many there were, um, most do. The, the, I'm not sure whether this is still the case, but the largest one that didn't was, would you believe, Manchester United. Wow. Which is bizarre, given that one is in Manchester, which mm. probably has the biggest gay population outside London in the country, and, uh, and also that Manchester City have an enormous group which is very well established and work really closely with the club. I'm not sure what the current position is on that. There were discussions about people wanting to set something up, but it's pretty disgraceful to be honest that the club haven't taken some action themselves. Yeah, I mean, obviously a club of that size, you, you would you would assume that they would um, they'd be quite prevalent within within that kind of thing, you know. You would have, to be honest, you'd have thought they'd have been quite embarrassed mm. not to have a supporters group, um, given that, as I say, of the demographics of the city, it's quite bizarre. Mm. Uh, I don't, as I say, know if anything came of the. There, there was some talk that something would be set up, but I'm not sure what the current situation is. But I, I think it. I, it's certainly something I think quite 
remarkable given the number of my smaller clubs like Cranmere, for example, who have a very active group. Yeah. How many members have you got within your group, Mike? Right, it's difficult to say, and I'll explain why. We um, do we do work on a, di- a load of different sort of levels, as I've said, and the main way that we communicate with people and get them involved is actually through our Facebook group. Um, now, we have around about 400 people signed up to that at the moment. Some of them are more active than others. We run, we run local events as well. Uh, recently, we put on a film night of the... Um, film that's recently been made about the history of Everton. Um, we got Neville Southall to come and speak to us. Uh, we've got a good crowd. And um, we also had an event where we um, watched uh, watched an away match and um, got people round to uh, you know have a sort of buffet meal and get to know each other and so on. That was held at uh, one of the club venues. And we have those sort of events as well to try and sort of get people to work together and get to know each other and so on. Um, but it's, so it's difficult for me to say how many members we've got because we don't have a sort of formal application for membership. It doesn't really need to work like that. You know, we're more of a network really and that people can get involved as much or as little as they like. For some people, that means particularly if they don't live locally, um, you know, putting something on the Facebook group every so often, um, maybe buying um, our scarves or our badges or anything like that. For other people, it's going to be getting involved um, on events that the club put together or taking part in the supporters there at the club ground or whatever. There's a lot of different ways that people can get involved. Now, I'm glad you mentioned um, Big Nev there, uh, Mike, because... um... I think with Nev, he's a very active supporter, isn't he? Both in person, by the sounds of it, with you guys, and and on social media as well, isn't he? Absolutely, and he's been very good to us. You know, he's certainly given us lots of um, free publicity and so on. He's got loads of followers on Twitter. So, you know, if we want um, something publicised, we always make sure that we let him know about it. He always does a very good job. I mean, he's one of our patrons, as is um, Joe Anderson, the mayor of Liverpool, another one of our patrons, and we've got other ideas as well for people that, that we might ask. But, yeah, never certainly spoken out, and he's been a, a great friend to all sorts of supportive groups who are campaigning to make the world of football a more diverse and inclusive place. I mean, it's great to have those kind of people, obviously, on board and, and spreading the message and, and obviously, awareness. And I know Neville Southall is... You know, he's, he, every single week he, he has um, someone say over his Twitter from various groups, whether it be uh, yeah, the LGBT. Well, I think I think with them, he doesn't actually care what anyone else thinks. So, no, yeah, pretty sure of that. Yeah, <laughs> he's very prepared to be controversial, and if he thinks something's wrong, he'll say so. And um, you know, and that that that's always good from our point of view because he's very willing to say things that perhaps some other people being a little bit more cautious aren't. But I think fundamentally, this is what I think us speaking to you today is, is all is all about. Really, that sport is for everybody. Everybody's Absolutely. allowed to follow sport and enjoy sport. Nobody should be excluded from the game. Absolutely right. And I, and I mean, I think it's interesting. You mentioned um, you know the issue of, of racism in football, which of course has never gone away. Uh, this season, we've seen some really awful examples of it. You know, and, and in the domestic game as well, not just when we're playing a sort of national club with a reputation for, um, you know, for that school. Um, and, and it's interesting because obviously, you know, there are literally hundreds of black and minority ethnic players, and yet that hasn't meant that racism's disappeared in mm. consequence. And I think maybe people hoped it would. Mm. 
and it maybe shows that it's a little bit deeper than uh, the people gave it credit for. With homophobia, I think it's even more difficult because, as you said yourself, it's uh, an issue which often doesn't get sort of focus on publicity that it might do. Well, it's just so very sad, isn't it, that that players feel because obviously there will be, you know, because the, the stats show there is there will be obviously gay footballers that play in the Premier League at the highest level, and it's so sad the environment isn't right that they feel they can come out in that environment, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it, it's a it's a big question this one, obviously, and um, you know, it's very easy to sort of throw around quite sort of simplistic argument, but if if you think about it logically. You know, we're in a society where there's pretty much now legal equality for LGBT people, and yet you have not got one single openly gay footballer in the entirety of the professional game at a high level. Now, I mean, it, it beats any sort of logic that there are not people who are gay in the professional game. There absolutely must be. So therefore, we need to think about, well, why is it that people are choosing not to come out in football where they're clearly able to come out in not only other sports, but also other, other walks of life? There's got to be something about football which is distinct in making that situation. And I mean, I don't know, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because it would be very easy for me to say it's this, that, the other, but... We don't totally know what the reason is. I mean, there's plenty of things that we can assume might be the case. I mean, for example, the role of agents and the um, pressure placed on footballers not to come out because of fear that it might affect their marketability. Um, it might be, and this is a personal theory that I have, I think when it does happen, it won't just be one player to come out. I think the idea of having the only out gay footballer in the Premiership, for example, will put incredible pressure on that individual, whatever way you look at it. I think that it's more likely to be a group of people who come out at the same time. That's just a personal theory of mine. I could be totally wrong, but um, I feel there would be a lot of pressure for any individual because they'd be seen as uh, you know, the sort of gay leader, really, for gay players within football, and it would be a lot of stressful, I'd say. You know, even though they might actually be totally happy with their own situation, and, you know, quite comfortable about being a PK, the pressure that externally would be placed upon them would inevitably be enormous. So I've got a feeling that it's wrong to expect one person to step forward and be the first. Um, I can understand why someone would find that quite a daunting prospect, really. No, I, to- I, to- I totally agree with that. I mean, I, I listened to a, a-, a pod actually with-, with Nev on the other day with Jamie Carragher and he was talking about it then. And he was saying that yeah. John-, John Barnes effectively was the first real sort of black player that was playing for either Liverpool or Everton back in the 80s. And I actually yeah. do recall, because I've been going the game with my father since sort of late 80s, and I remember John playing. And as a kid, I do remember even now um, the abuse he got was absolutely oh. unbelievable, um, yeah. but he almost paved the way because John's type of character was that that he obviously paved the way for others, and obviously subsequently Everson went on to sign obviously black players and that as well, didn't they? So it's weird how he was almost like a beacon, wasn't he, for players in the city? But you know, you've got to be really tough to be able to handle that. 
I mean, when we look at, you know, going back into history, uh, when we look at the very sad situation with Justin Fashadu, yeah. we can see what can happen when people who aren't mentally strong enough have to try and handle that sort of pressure. So, you know, I think it's something, it's very easy to, for me to criticise players who are gay but not out, but I personally think that it's much more about providing the sort of situation to make it as easy for them as possible. Is, is it a, is it a case? Uh, of, sorry, Mike. Is it a case of like 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 racism from from my side? Yeah. It's a reflection on on society, isn't it? Really, for oh, me, you know, in terms absolutely. Of, I mean, football is you, you know is unique on one level, and yet on another level it is um, because if you think about broader society, particularly when it comes to LGBT people, they're much more visible than they are in football. So there's got to be something extra. Um, with regard to LGBT uh, issues, which perhaps are specific to football, that perhaps football has started to deal with when it comes to the race. Now, I think football had to deal with race issues because the players were there. They had no choice but to deal with it. You know, you had, as you say, appalling situations where players were being you know, openly abused, bananas being thrown on pitches and so on. That couldn't continue. It actually had to be dealt with. Because there isn't anybody who isn't gay in the Premiership, for example, um, it's not an issue in the same way at the moment. As you say, it's easy to sort of um, forget about it until the Rainbow Lake is match once a year. Um, of course, it is an issue for the rest of the year, but um, it's not something that perhaps the clubs feel that they're necessarily have to deal with it on a week-by-week basis in the same way. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's something that's probably an angle that we haven't really looked at, is the fact that racism had to be dealt with because of the number of, of black players that were, were in the game. And like you say, until, we, until the time when, when we get a, a professional player who does uh, come out and say that, that they, they are gay, it's, it's, it's sad really because you, you want to try and create, create an environment where they feel comfortable to come out and say, yeah. you know, what the sexuality is. Not, not, not that they should have to, by the way, because of course no, they shouldn't. Absolutely. But, you know... It's totally up to them. Having said that, of course, you know, most people who are gay don't really find it a huge problem to be open about the sexuality these days. Yeah. So that being the case, you hope that was also the situation in football. Mm. I mean, when, when you compare it to the to the women's game and in this country yeah. and worldwide, you know, the, the, the number of female players who, who have come out... Yeah. I mean, in, in this country, Absolutely. you know, you, you've got the likes of uh, Karen Barsley as the England goalkeeper is one. Uh, you've got, you got yeah. probably one of the best players in the world in, in Megan Lapino, who, who has also um, has, has come yeah. out as well for many, many years. And it, it's great that they, sure. that they feel so so comfortable. Um, yeah. This is all about, isn't it? This is all about, I'm a, I'm a sociologist in my day job, and we have this, uh, this theory called hegemonic masculinity. It basically means that there's a particular um, idea and some um, theory about what it is to be a man and what it is to be masculine and what uh, is expected of people who um, are in a position to be sort of promoting masculinity. And I think footballers are very much expected in the male game to present a particular type of masculine image. Now, you know, we have had people like Beckham, for example, who very much sort of jumped on the metrosexual bandwagon and made it clear that, you know, he was absolutely cool about gay people and um, 
very interested in fashion and uh, things that don't perhaps go along with this traditionally masculine image. But I still think that's there. And I think that's why you get the difference. For a woman player to come out as lesbian, she isn't challenging that sort of stereotypical image of what a football player is meant to be. For a male player who did the same, it would be an enormous challenge to that sort of stereotypical, um, all-embracing sort of view of what a man is and what a man should be. Yeah, to be fair to Beckham, you mentioned him. Uh, I remember in his playing days, he um, I think he posed for the Attitude magazine as well, didn't he, to be fair to him? Yeah. Um, so he wasn't just, yeah, you know, I'm vote... Gonna, I'm not gonna, oh, no, I don't want to criticise him one bit. I, I think he was, uh, you know, he, he was really good in what he did and how open he was. Yeah. I mean, obviously we, we've mentioned how difficult it must be um, in the modern game for a variety of reasons and you mentioned obviously then about what what people perceive a male footballer to, to be like what they should be like maybe you know this this whole this whole match of women's and if if you um you, you are gay then you're not classed as 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 being masculine or macho which is absolutely you know yeah. what, what what a shocking point of view that is you know but um, uh, what, what, I still think it's what people think, you know, it's not, it, I, I, I think we do have to fight up, you know, be honest and say, well, yeah, this is the sort of image people have, and, uh, and I always think, you know, when you hear, and you know, we, we all heard it, we've all heard sort of discussions between fans as to which players could possibly be gay, and it's almost never the ones who are very notably sort of tough and macho and masculine. Yeah, of course, of course, and, and you know, it's just... This is just a, a, a stereotype of thing. I think it, it comes, you know, from from a, a, a fan's point of view. It's a it's a very very old fashioned view, which is something which unfortunately you, you still see in society today. So you can hundred you can hundred percent understand why why players feel feel the way they feel. But I mean, what, what are your thoughts? What what do you what do you think needs to be done from the games governing bodies in terms? No, no, no. Of, okay, I, I think there, I think it's on a number of levels really. Um, I think it's really important that clubs themselves do something because ultimately, I mean, clubs run players' lives. There's no doubt about that. You know, ask any sort of professional footballer after they retire, and they will say it comes as a real shock to the system. You actually have to start taking decisions for yourself again, where basically everything had been, you know, you've been told exactly what to do for, you know, the previous number of years. Um, so the role of the club is going to be massively important because any support that a player might need is ultimately going to come from the club. I think it's absolutely vital that they're on board. And I think, to be fair, um, you know, most of them have certainly um, displayed a willingness to listen, to try and respond. Um, sometimes it's more effective than others, and I, I suppose you know, that's inevitable. But um, uh, you know, I think there has been some progress there. Personally, I think the big issues are what the FA do and most of all what the Premier League do. And I think the latter, the Premier League, really get all together big groups, actually. Um, I mean, there's been some, um, there's been some quite interesting uh, TV documentaries about this over the years. Um, his, name, his name sort of suddenly got to my mind, but the guy who was the rugby player actually did the piece of investigation into the um, activities of the FA and the, the Premiership. Gareth Thomas, was it? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it 
was a shambles, basically. It really was. It was really, really appalling. I mean, to see the lack of activity and the covers, the covering up and the unwillingness to um, face up to face up to the issues. To you know, we wouldn't even do an on-air interview with him. I mean, you know, when when you're still in that sort of situation, they're so fearful of their own reputation. It suggests to me there's still a lot of work to be done at that level, and. Um, you know, there's, there's got to be sort of a response at that level of the game, I think, um, not only at club level. Um, I certainly think that, uh, yeah, as I say, I do think it's probably going to be a case that if there are going to be players coming out, it's not going to be just one person doing it on their own. And I actually think that would probably be wise, because I think it would be much more difficult for someone to be focused on and picked on if they were one of them You know what, Mike, this, this might be a bit of a difficult question to put to you, but what do you think the next step forward is, or, or rather the smallest step forward, um, I guess, in terms of improving this every day in football? Yeah, um, I think I was really pleased with the way Rainbow Lace was done this year, actually. Um, I mean, I've been a bit sceptical about it in the past for all sorts of reasons. Uh, but this year, uh, for the first time, there actually seemed to be some sort of organised and sort of good activities going on at a number of different grounds uh, you know, around the country. And it, it did seem to have a much higher profile. And what was good this year, for, uh, I mean, the Territory, for example, was that the, um, the organisation who were promoting rainbow laces actually provided people to turn up on the day give out laces and that very much sort of backed up what we were doing and what the club was doing um, and I think it's sometimes it's, it's actually small things like that that need to be consistently happening um, I mean it's interesting you mentioned LGBT history month I'm going to have to contact the club tomorrow to find out what they're doing for it if anything um, but you know it, it, it's making sure that there's that there are sort of constantly things that are, are being done rather mm. than say one big thing once a year certainly that's important and retaining um, good links between the clubs and the different supporters groups are important as well um, I mean one of the things we found quite encouraging actually was that um, during the Rainbow Laces um, uh, week um, the club actually put sort of our rainbow logo of the Everton of the Everton crest all over the flames and uh, shared it with lots of groups and so on. And generally speaking, the reaction was really pretty positive. Okay, you you know, you had a few goons who hmm. said the sort of thing you would would say. But on the whole it wasn't just us who were saying to them, Oh, you know, pipe down, don't talk nonsense, you know, football's for everybody. It was ordinary supporters who aren't LGBT who were saying it. And I think that's really important as well, actually. Um, I mean, a lot of people ask me, do you hear a lot of sort of homophobic chanting at Everton and so on? Not very often. Um, it tends to be when certain clubs visit, you get a bit of it. Brighton um, and Chelsea in particular. But um, we don't get a lot. And certainly when it comes to sort of individual um, homophobic chanting or anything, that's something I haven't heard for a long time. 
one did, where I sit in the ground, make uh, a throwaway comment calling someone a faggot. I just turned around and looked at him. And I don't know if he knows who I am or what, but he just looked at me and said, oh, sorry, mate, and that was it. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to say anymore. He's apologised, that's all you need. But, you know, when we get to the stage where it's, people know it's not acceptable to use that sort of language at a game, then we're winning. So I think it's four steps, as you say. It's, you know, ensuring it's kept on the agenda, making sure that there's things to keep it on the agenda. And having a zero tolerance policy as well when it comes to um, the stuff that does go on in grounds. Um, you know, if fans thought that the club were going to have to play a match to an empty stadium, then I'm sure they'd think twice. And, you know, it's certainly what we expect to happen in Europe when we hear racist chanting, for example. We shouldn't have lower standards here, as far as I'm concerned. When it comes to homophobia. Yeah, I think, like you say, I think it's really important that we, we keep the conversation live and going at all times, not just obviously the, the annual events that, that go on, as, as good as they are, by the way, for, for highlighting uh, the situation. It's really important that we that we keep we keep this going. I mean, and, and on that side, have you, what, what have you got lined up um, for, for the Rainbow Toffees in, in the, the upcoming months? Any events coming up? Okay, we haven't got, I'm, I'm not aware that we've got anything planned right immediately. At the moment, the guy who organises that is in Thailand, so well, <laughs> I can't upbring him to ask. But uh, uh, we, we will certainly be doing some events over the next few months. We would normally participate well in stuff with the clubs, the clubs involved, as well as these are moves on. So, um, you know, I, 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 I very much imagine we'll, we'll be sort of visible in terms of those sort of things. Um, we, we do have some ideas for possible future events, but it's a case of sort of getting them organised. I wouldn't want to sort of say that something happens when it isn't. But I mean, one thing that, um, you know, we're, 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 we're always very keen to sort of hear from new people and people who want to get involved, particularly if they've got any, any good ideas for things that we can do. Yeah. So, you know, people do want to sort of look us up. Um, the, probably the best way to do it is to go onto Facebook, just look up Rainbow Toffees, and you'll find us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'd be very happy for anyone to sign up. And, and that includes allies, as well as people who are LGBT. You know, we have people involved in the group who um, have friends and relatives who are LGBT who want to be involved and want to make sure that it's known that, you know, that they support us. So, all are welcome. And, and you're, on, you're um, on Twitter. You're on Twitter as well. We, we, we will tag the group yeah, in. Um, when we, we release the podcast, Twitter feed. So again, you, you know, hashtag Rainbow Toffees. Uh, you can find us there too. Yes. And um, b- before you go, Mike, I want to get your thoughts on this season as well for Everton in terms of obviously <laughs> oh, yeah. how, yeah, how things have gone. You wouldn't know. There's no chance. Need, need another hour for that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been. What can I say? I mean, I. It's been a disaster, that's the only way I can describe it. And we haven't got things right even now. I mean, you know, we look, look, on paper, we should be a really good, strong team. In practice, we're incredibly inconsistent. And of course, the Newcastle game the other night, well, that was just pure Everton, wasn't it? Mm. I mean, what are they going to be, you know, all over them, basically, totally dominated the game, and then have two goals scored against them in the 94th and 95th minute. I, I, I just, 
don't think there's any easy answer to that one. But clearly, if that is happening, there is something wrong. Because it shouldn't be happening. It really shouldn't. Do you think Ancelotti's the way forward? Well, I hope so. I hope so. He's obviously got a track record. Um, He's got a bit of clout in the sense that he's got that track record. Um, We've had issues with managers, really, ever since David Moyes left. And I don't think we've found the formula as yet. Um, On one level, there's a lot of buzz going around about the club. We still get full games every week. You know, we've got 12,000 people on on the waiting list now for for season tickets. I mean, you know, we're we're a very strong local club as well. We have an enormous local following. All those things are real strengths for us. But things are not working out as they should be. And the role of the manager is clearly a very important one. Um, and I certainly hope that we can get it together. There's always with Everton as well. I don't know, we, we do tend sometimes to sort of beat ourselves up far too much and individual players sort of get in, in the deck every so often the players who some fans think ought to be sold or so on. And I think we've just got to leave that one to the new manager and let him decide really where he thinks the club needs to be going. I think what's interesting is that he's going back to a 4 2 formation I do agree with you. I do agree with you. I think one thing with with Ancelotti, I think he's a calming influence, isn't he? I think I think the club the club the club need that. You know, not to get over. You know, the Newcastle game was a bit of a nightmare, but you know, he was very calm in his, in his press conference and everything else. Not getting too wound up about it. Absolutely. I think I think we need someone who can look towards the sort of medium to long term. Obviously, you know, the, the important thing is not to end up going down. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. Actually, I don't think we're going to go down. But um, you know, we need we need to be looking towards the future, recognise that perhaps things are not going to change overnight. Um, but you know, we need to build now. You know, there's always a lot of talk in January, but the January transfer window is always extremely slow these days. And I'm not expecting a huge number of people in all out, to be honest. Um, you know, I don't really think we're going to back the trend on that one. So let's wait and see what happens. Um, see if we do make any purchases this this month. But I mean, if we don't, we're on paper, as I said, we really don't have a bad squad. So uh, we really need to start showing that all the money that we paid for those players was actually worth it. Yeah. It's what it's it's gonna be interesting to see obviously how we how we evolve and develop and, and we'll have you obviously yeah. we, we, we could talk all day which we tend we tend to mo- most days about everything and where, where we're gonna go and <laughs> Mr. Gancelotti and I mean, so on. I think I think other one of the paradoxes with Everton is that you know we have the reputation of the boys here of being a you know a defensive club boys Saves as well, and it's easy to forget about that. Um, 
I think along with Gonzo, they've nothing to do with it. Yeah, there's potentially there's potentially other positions that are slightly more important at the moment to to recruit him. Maybe he I mean he's in the fire line, but he's not one that I would be looking just yet to to be to be shipping out. But it may it may come, it may come, but um but we'll see. But Mike, we 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 really appreciate you coming on this morning. Uh, fairly early for a Sunday as well, especially for us. We're normally uh, still still well away. But, uh, but Lee's got a game of golf booked in, you see, so we've got to get a game forward. Oh, thanks, mate. That's fine, no problem. But th- thanks for coming on, Mike. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Thanks Thank for you. coming on. Thank you. Thanks very much. Cheers, Speak then. Speak to you soon. Ta-ra now. Bye-bye now. Real, real important, real important conversation, I thought, um, and a really important guest to have on to highlight things. And it just goes to show that in the in this area, especially when it comes to the, the homophobia aspect and also um professional male players being comfortable in coming out, the, the, there's no quick fixes there. And that that's what I think is the real the real sad thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree and, and 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 I thought Mike came across really well there. He was really really passionate about it. Um you know, he was proud to have him associated with the club, to be honest. Um but yeah, it, it, is, it is very sad. I do agree with him. I do think it will probably be a group rather than an individual. Uh, I do think that's what will go on to happen. Uh, I think that's the only way it can potentially happen and to, to try and sort of minimise the the effect uh, in the stands and things like that. So um, no, it was good. It was good to talk to him and sort of for us to educate ourselves a bit more about it, isn't it? Because it's not something we know it's a lot use, about and that's the reason why we wanted to talk about it. It's what it? we use this platform for, isn't it? In terms of the, the, the TNT visa, we'd be trying educate ourselves and, and those who do this and obviously hopefully open people's eyes a bit and want to want to get involved and want to learn and like like Mike said if you want to do you know work with the, the Rainbow Toffees or understand more what they do get involved they're on Facebook they're on Twitter and we'll put the link up for that can't yeah, we yeah and we, we'll tag them into to when, we, when we release the podcast they'll be tagged in uh, the Twitter handle as well so something really really important to, to get behind Um so it's a, I think we'll call it a day, lads. Really, really enjoyed that. Really informative. Again, thanks to Mike for, for coming on. Um, if you listen to the podcast, if you listen on uh, on iTunes, give us a review. Um, oh, five, five stars. stars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing less. Well, give, give us a review. Give us your thoughts because obviously we're still in our infancy in regards to the the Trinity B side. We're still learning. And thanks for listening. For Everton fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Everton videos and podcasts, download the Toffees app for free now on the App Store and Google Play. Sports Social Podcast Network.